Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on getting to know God better. Well, we're continuing on in our series, Growing in Knowing Him. This is the last one. Feel free, I'm reminded in covering a topic like this here, a small bit of, on a humorous note while you're getting your little handout, of the elephant rampaging through the woods, and uh, you probably heard this, but he, you know, he steps on that ant pile, and he totally, did, you know, just everything they'd built, just some tatters, lots of dead ants, and, and so the ants get together and say, we got to do something about this, we can't just, we just can't let this go, and so they got a plan, and they all got up on a branch, you know, they knew kind of where the elephant tended to go, and, and uh, so they're all up there, and the elephant's coming along. Have you heard this one? And he's coming along, and they all say, one, two, three, go, and they all land on the elephant and begin biting him. Well, the elephant can't feel much, but he can feel something's up there, so he shakes, and he ends up shaking all, all, almost all of them off, except one little ant is still up there, uh, right around here on the neck of the elephant. And the other ants look out, and they see their one fellow ant up there, and they said, strangle him, strangle him. <laughs> well, in trying to cover a topic like the glory of God, that's how I feel like an ant tackling an elephant. And anything we do is so inadequate. But uh, let's ask the Lord to help us in his mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this Father's Day. We greet you as our Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. We love you, and we pray that Today, in a special way, almost in a sense that we could step out of time and space and have a holy moment set apart with you, with the scriptures, with the Holy Spirit speaking to us in uncommon ways. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that came up as, uh, after the class last week, and I really appreciated Jim mentioning this, he said, uh, because of how you expressed it, you could have left the impression uh, that as God shows you his glory and wants to fill you with his glory, that everything is going to be glorious. Everything's going to go just fine. And we know that's uh, not the case in, in our common understanding of the word glorious. You don't uh, get in a car wreck and you're arm is almost severed and say, well, I had a glorious drive. That's not a glorious drive. You know, a glorious drive is Sunday afternoon, uh, the birds singing, you, you drive and uh, get home safely, and that was a glorious drive. So I want us to look, uh, as we begin, at uh, an explanation from Scripture on that. In, um, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, some verses we'll look up, others I've just kind of put up here for you. But uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In the previous verse, verse 6, it talks about the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so when he says, but we have this treasure, that's the treasure he's talking about. God has put his treasure, his glory in the believer. He says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to dwell in you. So, he says, we have this treasure, this glory in jars of clay, that's us, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, I want you, we want to focus on this particular verse here. I think it's verse 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. 
Now he's talking about how glorious, in a different kind of a way, his life is. You know, it's like, where's the glory? I thought, you know, things are supposed to go well, and uh, we're hard-pressed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, and we're struck down. I says, well, gee, thanks. What would it be like to not have a glorious life? <laughs> We'd like to try that. The first thing we noticed, uh, it says, I'm hard-pressed. We don't always have it easy. Don't always have it easy. He says, we're perplexed. That means we don't always have an answer. Well, why is God allowing this? I don't know. Somebody says, well, I don't believe God is, God is there, and you can't think of anything to tell him. You're perplexed sometimes. It, does it mean the glory of God is not in your life? Not at all. But he's saying that, it's, that just because the glory of God in your life doesn't, uh, doesn't mean everything is going to go easily. He does say there is a difference. He says we're hard-pressed on every side, but there's always a but on all of these. But not crushed. He says it's, there is a difference. It doesn't go badly because of the glory, but because of the glory, as you go through these hard things, there is a God makes a difference. We do not always have it easy. We do not always have an answer. He says we are persecuted. That means we don't always have an audience. I want to talk with you about the Lord. And they curse you out. In some countries, they shoot you. He says, well, that didn't go very well. Uh, <laughs> well. I thought I had the glory of God in me. Well, yes, that's why they shot you. And we are struck down. That means as you were trying to get out of the door, because you could tell this thing wasn't going to go very well, you didn't escape. Doesn't mean that there will always be a rescue. There's sometimes uh, when you are struck down and yet not destroyed. And that's a lot of, we, we see with the Apostle Paul, he says what's amazing about the apostles is, he says that everybody views us as poor and yet we make many rich. It's, it's as though we are dying, and yet we are the carriers of life. To many we are foolish, and yet we are caring about the wisdom of God. So a beautiful, uh, dynamic, and surprising contrast and irony here. Well, last week, we, I just want to cover this once more. We talked about it in Isaiah chapter 40, those familiar verses of a voice calling, prepare in the desert, a way for our God. And this series has been on growing in knowing Him. Do you really want to get to know Him? Do you want to see His glory? How badly do you want to see that? How much longer is it going to take God to get through to us as we race by, race here, race there? He says you need to prepare the way of the Lord, and what we looked at last week was the way of the Lord is in the human heart. That's why when John the Baptist, fulfilling this, came, and he was the voice calling in the wilderness, he didn't say, get your shovel and your backhoe. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The glory of God is coming closer and closer, and it's for you as you seek him, as he becomes everything to you. God wants to get us beyond guilt in our Christian life. Uh, that's, that's kind of a, uh, a fallback. It's like a, the, the seatbelt. You don't drive along hanging on to your seatbelt. That's the only way you stay in the car. You know, you're dangling by your seatbelt. No, no. Seatbelt is just there. It's, it's like if everything else doesn't work and the airbag doesn't deploy, you at least have the seatbelt. But you're not driving along conscious, constantly thinking of or clinging to this seatbelt. Guilt is kind of like that. If everything else doesn't work, well, that's one last thing to kind of say, hey, don't you think this isn't a good idea? 
He wants to get us also beyond discipline. A lot of us have kind of tried to run our Christian lives on discipline, and that might have worked for you when you were 25. By the time I'm almost 50 now, this next week I'll be 49, you kind of wear out. Tread gets kind of low on the tire. Not, not Some of you are just naturally disciplined. I don't know, you're just born with a military uniform on or something. Your, your clothes have always been neat. But then there are the rest of us, you know, that just stuff just, I don't know, the entropy is just increasing the disorder in our lives. And, and so, yes, I'm going to get disciplined. Well, you, you used to believe it when you said that. Now you're thinking, I don't know. You know, I'll keep trying, but this is not going very well. And it hasn't been going well, frankly, for about 15 years. The discipline does not get better. And God wants to get us, I believe, in our Christian life beyond discipline. He also wants to get us beyond just being religious, just doing our religious duty of going to church and showing up. That's all very good. None of these things are bad. They're just inadequate. And he also wants to get us beyond just being busy in a well-meaning sort of a way, helping here, helping there, you know, just running, 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 running. He says, I want to get you all beyond that to something even better. I want to move you to being filled with the glory of God, conscious of His presence, captivated by Him. As these other things are in play, there will be sometimes a little bit of guilt just because you sometimes do something you shouldn't do and that conscience kicks in. There needs to be some remnant of discipline, any that you can still muster, you know, it might not be much, but, you know, get it going. And it's good to have our religious activities because that, that kind of also keeps us in line with the Lord. And as we fill that with a, a, a sincere heart, it blesses God. And also we want to, if we can be active and, and busy, we want to do that. But not at the expense of beholding the Lord, of walking in His peace, knowing His power, that He's really real. That it's not just me, I'm just this great servant of the Lord, but I, I'm this little ant, you know. And, and the Lord is doing wonderful things, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So we want to look today particularly at the life of Jesus and the, how the glory is manifested in his life. The revelation of God's glory was most powerful in the life of Jesus Christ. You're familiar with this verse. The first talk, part, we're going to talk about his, just his identity. Who was he? Who was he? The Word became flesh, became a person, and made his dwelling among us. So I, I looked up, I've always heard this, and I, sometimes you quote things and, and you finally went, oh, but I wonder if it's really that way. And I looked up the word dwelling, and sure enough, it is uh, skene, or it's the verb form of, of the word for tent, which is also used for tabernacle in the Old Testament, but uh, also just uh, any of the dwelling places that you could just set up made out of animal skins, tie it down so it wouldn't blow away. But a temporary sort of a thing. And it says, The Word became flesh and made His temporary dwelling. He pitched His tent among us. And what did they see? They saw His glory. Now there are all kinds of stories, you know, about when people get married, you know, and, and uh, everything was so beautiful on the wedding day and of course, there's one song, you know, where on the wedding night, the bride, you know, takes off her false leg, takes out her false eye. Uh, he realizes, man, that was a wig. Uh, all of these things, uh, you know, and it would be the opposite of seeing her glory. You know, I mean, seeing the lack, the, the, it wasn't really glory. It was uh, false gold. But when they lived with Jesus, they grew in their understanding of this is much more not much less, much more than we thought. You can't hide when you camp 
together. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know. Any campers in here? Anybody? Oh, no campers. Oh, well. Have you noticed that not only do you know what's going on in your tent, you kind of know what's going on in every tent unless they kind of, somebody crying or or arguing or laughing, you know, and you're thinking, why can't they have rules in this campground? Do people tune tone it down? And, uh, but it says, we camped with him and we saw his glory, the glory of the and this is, again, this is the Old Testament, that, that term. That, remember that, the, how the glory filled the tabernacle and it filled the temple? And then after the destruction of the temple and they rebuilt the temple, they dedicated it and there was no glory. And God didn't show up in that way for 500 years until there on the hills of, outside of Bethlehem, uh, the shepherds saw the glory of the Lord shining round about. This is the Shekinah presence of God. He had returned to Israel. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. He'd come back. Not just a person, not just a prophet, not just a messenger. God himself had come, and this time in human form. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of his glory. Jesus. Jesus is the radiance, the brightness of the Father's glory. The exact representation of his nature. Uh, well, the thing, place that that comes out most clearly is in the transfiguration. You know, because again, we associate glory with uh, brightness, light, flash, shining. And they had their own personal experience of that. Let's, in fact, let's look at that. In Luke 9, 28, uh, 32 is one account of it. Luke 9, 20, starting in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, after feeding the 5,000, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? You know, you think, I thought he was God. I thought he could just kind of flick his hand, you know, and everything would do anything it was supposed to do. He could knock people over. He could make things fall out of the sky. What do you need to pray about? I'll leave you that question because that's not what we're going to cover today. But you should generate questions as you go through the Scripture. That opens up your mind. Try not to bounce off the Bible. But say, but I wonder why that's there. Why is it that he was praying? But you notice also he didn't take the 12. He just took those three. Apparently a more intimate bunch. And maybe he knew they'd behave themselves more if they weren't all together. You know, sometimes 12, things get sort of unruly, uh, particularly with those disciples. So I thought, well, I'll just take the three that may be a little more on target with me. Peter the Rock and, and the Sons of Thunder here. So they go up to the mountain, and Jesus is just going up there to talk to God. And says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now here we see, we have the the brightness and the lightning. It's funny how people would say, I would would love to see the glory of God, and yet they don't pray. Not really, I mean, when they're in trouble, and a little bit here, a second for the meal or something, but that just always gets squeezed out, even in their quiet time maybe. Maybe maybe even 20 minutes in the Scripture. It's, oh, better pray and go. You know, 15 seconds praying. Jesus made times to pray. When would the glory appear in the temple? At the dedication, with the offering and the prayers. When did the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost? They'd been praying for 10 days. 
Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's not just a coincidence. My friend in Argentina, this 80-year-old uh, Italian immigrant who's been walking with the Lord for like 50 years, so a lot of times we take people over there for counseling, stuff like that, and, and in so many cases, as they would share about their Christian life and the problems they were going through, she would say, falta oración, you're not praying enough. I think, you always say that. And I say, it's probably, it's probably always true too, you know. You're not praying enough to keep away the darkness out of your life. Now, it's not just an automatic thing. You pray and everything's going to go fine. No. But if you don't pray, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. Have you ever wondered how they knew they were Moses and Elijah? I don't imagine they used name tags. And they certainly didn't have a picture of them. Maybe they asked Jesus afterwards, who, who were those masked men, those two men? Uh, but they saw Moses and Elijah. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, because they realized, hey, something's, something's going off here, they saw, what did they see? They saw his glory, not their glory, his glory. So even though Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, there was apparently a big difference between how Jesus looked and how Moses and Elijah looked. One was this big, bright camp lamp, lantern, you know, that you can't even look at, and then two little candles next to it. They saw his glory. And this, you know, this had to have changed and affected their understanding of Jesus. It was like, what do you say to that? And there were three of them, so it wouldn't be one could say, I think I had a dream. So no, there were three of them. And they realized this is really happening. Peter, we won't go to it, but in, in Second Peter, Peter refers to this again. And he says, uh, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You think, well, is that talking about the transfiguration? The next verse, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. That's what he's talking about. The transfiguration. He says, we don't have a, a doubt about this at all. This, we're, not, we're not out here to do comparative religions. You know, well, what do the Buddhists say? Well, what do the Hindus say? Well, well what Jesus says also is really worth considering. He says, no, 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 no. This, this is the truth. Jesus is the way. You don't have Jesus. You don't have the life. But we notice that the term glory is used in more ways than just that at the transfiguration. This third part, we've talked about his identity, his, I forgot already, the transfiguration, his transfiguration, but also in his works, his, his good works, his miracles. John chapter 2 is the wedding at Cana. They turn the water into wine. Well, when he finishes that, it says, beginning, oh, the, this is the first of his miraculous signs, the changing the water into wine. Jesus performed at Canaan, Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, you remember the changing of the water of the wine. He didn't even want them to tell anybody that he did it. I mean, he kind of covered it up. The disciples saw it, and the servants saw it, but none of the guests, they, they thought, well, they had this wine hidden, and they just brought it out. Anybody see a bright light? And so somebody just took a picture of us. That's what they say of Argentines, you know. 
when it, whenever there's lightning, their uh, self-esteem is so inflated, they, say, they think God's taking their picture. Uh, but uh, at Cana, there was no bright light. There was no shining Shekinah glory. What was there? Why, why would it say, what did he reveal? What was it that was revealed at that first miracle? His power to change substances? Anything else? What did the disciples think? Okay, he did something that only God could do. And also notice, he did something to be a blessing. His love was revealed in a very subtle way. Love that serves and doesn't care if anybody knows that they did it. Ooh, that's a hard one in the family, isn't it? You, you did something, you washed the dishes, you did this, you did that, and then nobody notices. Uh, and we see here, Jesus says, it doesn't matter if anybody knows how we had more wine. I'm just happy that the party's going well for the bride and the groom. He was revealing parts of who he was, his goodness and his power. Another interesting thing on his works is John 11:4. What's happening in John chapter 11? That's Lazarus, remember? Lazarus was sick, and, and they tell Jesus, and he says, well, let's wait to go. And because uh, he knows he's going to, Lazarus is going to die. You think, well, this, this is, doesn't sound like he's very, very loving. When he heard this in John 11, 4, it says, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is, this sickness is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now here we see him moving into the sickness and sadness and sorrow of the world and not just immediately making everything better. He moves into it. In fact, he even lets it get worse. Someone said, what is it? The, it always gets darkest right before the bottom drops out. You know, they say, cheer up, it could get worse. And you cheer up and it gets worse. And he says, this, this is for God's glory. But he doesn't explain it. You think, well, if this is for God's glory, it's for the birds. I mean, I'm sick and praying, and then instead of coming and helping and healing, he dies. This is for God's glory in his time. In his own time, he will do it. And, and watch this. If you want to have a great manifestation of God's power and salvation... It can only come if there is a great problem. If all you have is an ingrown toenail and you pray and pray and the power of God descends and in three days it's fine. Well, you're not going to get up and share that in testimony time at church. But how about if your foot was chopped off and it grew back? That's something worth saying. <laughs> now, which would you rather have? An ingrown toenail or your foot chopped off? Don't you see that to have a great deliverance, you've got to have a great problem? And sometimes God has allowed our problems to be as bad as they are and then to get even worse because he still has something up his sleeve. And what did he tell them there? We're going to come back to this, but later on in John 11, he says, there in the cemetery, he says, did I not tell you if you believe, what? You will see the glory of God. Where? At the sickbed, in the cemetery. Don't quit 
believing and trusting and seeking that God somehow, as you trust in Him blindly with no evidence that things could possibly work out, says, great, this is the kind of situation the Lord loves. You may have heard that story in World War II, and I may have, might have told it sometime here. But the, the general who's there, an American general with his troops somewhere in Europe, and an aide comes in, he says, I've got bad news. We've got, we got the enemy in front of us and behind us. And, and not only that, we've just found out that they're also to the left and to the right. And the general supposedly said, great, they can't get away now. <laughs> Did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. But I also want us to move now to uh, the hardest thing that Jesus went through for us, and that was his crucifixion. Let's turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is this one who is the radiance of the Father's glory. Goes to Gethsemane. What does Gethsemane mean? Anybody remember from your... The olive press, where they press out the oil. Now, chapter 12 of John, uh, he's there in the garden, and in verse 27 he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Have you ever been in a situation like that? The situation is terrible. You're not even sure what to pray. What do I, what shall I say? Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus asked the same question? What shall I say? Well, Jesus, you're the wisdom of the Father. How can you say, what shall I say? Praise for us with sighs too deep for uttering, utterance when we do not know how to pray as we should. And maybe the Father, the Holy Spirit was praying through Jesus at this point. He says, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? There have been situations you and I have been in that that's what we wanted more than anything. Lord, just save me out of this situation. Please bring a solution that's nice, a good solution for me um, that doesn't require so much pain, so much agony, so much loss. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour to go to the cross. Father, glorify thy name. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross either in, his, in a human sense, but he was willing to. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. He paid a higher price, but it was to gain a higher prize. Hebrews 12.2 says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And there may be some terrible, terrible cross that God has or will ask you to bear. And this moment in Jesus' life can be that beacon in the night, in the storm. Saying, Father, what shall I pray? Save me from this hour? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pray that on the one hand. But I will also trust that you know it's best. And I'm counting on you to glorify your name in whatever you choose to do. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, also about his crucifixion, this is the, we started off with this passage, looking at the end of it. You know, we are hard-pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. That's what comes right after this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this treasure of the, the glory. But look at this for a minute. He, Paul, writing, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Where did he say that? In the beginning. Let there be light. 
Uh, well, the same God who said that, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine where? In our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge, be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. And he says, that same God has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? Where is the brightest light here? In the face of Christ. In the face of Christ, he says, he says, well, there was the glory in just his identity. He was a wonderful person. There was glory in his transfiguration when they just cracked the veil and this tremendous light shone out of the veil of Jesus' flesh. There was glory in his works as he, as he healed the sick, raised the dead, uh, tended the children. But he says, you want to know what really revealed the essence of God, his glory? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the face of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that impact your understanding of the word glory? He says that was the most powerful revelation that there has ever been of the glory of God. It's who He is. It's that love that lays down its life for another. Do you realize that in the cross that you are going through or will go through someday, when it's at the lowest point, the most painful, the most agonizing, seemingly the most hopeless, where you are the most perplexed, hard-pressed, struck down, that as you go through that in faith, God is manifesting His glory in you? This was the greatest revelation of the glory of the Father. When, when Moses had prayed, Lord, show me your glory, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And in Jesus Christ, that's what he did. He paid that terrible price because that was the only way you and I could have any hope. And there are times he invites us to walk in a similar path. Not as bad. We don't have to bear the sins of the world. But there are times when you are paying dearly for the mistakes of another person. I mean, you're not going to hell for them, but temporally, on this, in this life, you, in a sense, through maybe no real uh, choice of your own, or even not any major sin that you can say, well, I brought this on me, you know, you reap what you sow. No, this just, I mean, there's always some of that, but you can tell when this is mostly just something that's come upon you because of the closeness of another person that's made some terrible decisions. And you feel like that. And I believe the Lord wants to instruct us. He says, you're not as far from the glory of God as you think. Just because you're in pain or problems doesn't mean His glory is a long way off. He says that, He says, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, let's think about how to apply this a little bit when we think about God's glory in our lives. And I want to just come back to that verse in John eleven forty. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I want you to notice first the word if right here. Jesus does not say, 
I just want you to know that God loves you and no matter what, everything's going to work out fine. He does not say that here. There is an if. If you believed, or in another translation, if you believe, you would see the glory of God. New American Standard, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. There is something weighing on us as we go through our lives, and particularly the harder times, to realize there's something I'm supposed to be doing right now. Even if, you know, maybe it's not a whole lot of activity. I mean, the trial you are going through may completely immobilize you. Unfortunately, he's not saying you've got to take a trip to Jerusalem and then you'll see the glory of God or you've got to make sure you pray an hour every day or, or give a million dollars. Things that are, avail- that are easy for some, impossible for others. He gives us something that's open to absolutely everyone. He says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And I want you to notice that as we fulfill that condition, Lord, I'm believing you. I don't know how you're going to work things out uh, what decision you're going to make, whether I'm going to go to the cross or not go to the cross, whether I'm just going to be sick or like Lazarus die, I don't know. I am perplexed. But one thing I know, you have promised, if I believe, I will see the glory of God. And whatever form will bring you honor, and that is good enough for me. So all I know is I am trusting in you. I'm placing myself in your hands. I'm confident that you're going to work things out according to your goodwill as I am trusting in you, praying to you, seeking you, obeying you. You've promised me that I'm going to see your glory. And then secondly, when we think about serving God, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in the same way, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men. Uh, Again, the figure of light, glory. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and think you're just the greatest person. No, that's not what it says, is it? See your good deeds and praise. The literal word there is the word we have, doxa, which is the word for glory. So they translate it here, praise, but it's actually uh, more literally, and glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify your Father in heaven. How do you, how do, you do that? You know the... Westminster Confession, we're to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do you glorify God with taking what we've learned about what His glory is? How can we do that? If His glory is the reality of His presence, we do it by being intimate with Him. Is there an atmosphere of the presence of God around your life? Do people feel like when they're with you that they've been with God? I'll embarrass Wendy, but our neighbor... In Argentina one time, uh, just had a chance meeting with Wendy. She'd not ever hardly talked to Wendy, and they talked. And uh, later on, she was talking to another neighbor, and they, one made the comment, I just felt so strange when I was talking with her, like, like there was something different, something special. And the other neighbor said, I felt the same thing. What do you suppose that was? I'm not saying it's always going to be something like that, but How can you glorify God if His glory is the reality of His presence? It's that you transmit that intimacy with God to others. That they can tell. I mean, I'm kind of trying to grab at a cloud here. You know, this isn't something I, I can quantify at all. And yet, in the spiritual world, it's very, very real. And as you learn to walk more closely with God, not just be religious, that won't do it. It's that intimacy with Him that communicates not just that. 
America is a religious place, but that God is real. He is present. He is near, and he is ready to intervene. Maybe not always in the way you'd like, but uh, he's there. If his glory is the manifestation of his wonderfulness, how do we glorify him in that way? Through answered prayer. Of course, if you don't pray specifically, you're not going to have any answers to prayer specifically. And so learning to pray, having a prayer list, and sharing what God has done manifests his wonderfulness. You're glorifying God when you, when you pray specifically, receive answers, and share that. You're glorifying God. If his glory is the depth of his love, you glorify him by forgiving those that have hurt you and ruined your life in a temporal sort of a way. The depth of his love, you manifest that by also copying him and forgiving. And if his glory is the brightness of his holiness, you manifest his glory by recommitting your life to purity. Recommitting your life to personal purity. That glorifies God. Now to me this really helps because when I think uh, where to glorify God, nothing real clear comes to mind. But I think if uh, it glorifies God when I have a daily devotional or a quiet time. It glorifies God when I confess my sins. It glorifies God when you call out to Him in the day of trouble. It glorifies God when you study your Bible, when you share your faith, when you serve your wife, when you respect your husband, when you give your tithe. It says, hey, I'm getting all kinds of points I didn't know about, you know? This is great. Do you want to see His glory? Do you want to reflect His glory? These are the days where we don't have nearly as long to live as we used to have. We may have 40 years, but there's a bunch of years that have already passed. We no longer have time not to seek Him. We don't have the time to jump in the mud puddle again and roll around and get dirty. We don't have the time to live in the flesh. There's just enough time left to seek Him, to grow in Him, to grow in knowing Him, and move to the point beyond guilt, beyond discipline, beyond being religious, and beyond being busy, and move to the place of joy where we're really connecting with Him as a person, even if it's on the cross and the pain and all of those things. But there's something different. He is there at Gethsemane. He is there at your crucifixion. And you're trusting Him for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let's pray. There's no one like you, Lord. How can we even talk about your glory? And yet you've somehow put this holy thing in us, this presence of God. We're sorry for getting so distracted, for racing around, for being so worried, for thinking, oh, yes, I'm going to pray, and then we don't. I'm going to read the Bible, and we don't. I'm going to share my faith, and we don't. Lord, please, don't give up on us. We take your word to our hearts today that if we believe, we will see the glory of God. Come quickly, Lord. Work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast.